Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Law's podcast, Travaux. I'm your host, Julia Wang, and this is The Current State. Welcome back to Travaux. I'm Julia Wang, and today I'll be talking with Alex McLennan about the growing number of border walls around the world that now restrain the movement of animal populations. Thanks, Julia. Glad to be here. To get us started, can you give us an overview of this issue and its importance? Sure thing. In general, governments build border walls to keep out people, not animals. The proper reasons for the walls have included a rise of nationalistic politicians, opposition to refugee movements, and a concern over smuggling. Whether walls work to keep out humans is questionable, but there's strong evidence they work to keep out animals. Today, such walls can be found in many parts of the world, and animals are paying the price. For example, the American ocelot population numbers less than 120 members, making it one of America's most endangered cats. These felines have litters of two or three kittens and a fine fur that makes them targets for hunters. One thing they do not have is a passport. And can you give us other more specific examples of this happening around the world? Definitely. I'll first talk about Europe, which has seen a return of border walls over the last several years as political leaders react to the refugee crisis. While humans have found ways around the walls, animals have been less successful. Unfortunately for European animal populations, these walls can disrupt migration patterns and access to resources. Consider the small band of lynx in the Bialowieża forest traversing the Polish-Belarusian border. These cats have seen their habitat divided since the Polish government built a 115-mile-long, 18-foot wall along the border. Cut off from their broader range, the lynx face greater difficulty in finding food and mates, threatening individual survival and genetic diversity in an already small population. It's little wonder that a letter signed by over 500 wildlife scientists warn of consequences, including the collapse of the Polish lowland lynx population. Nor are the lynx alone. The same letter notes the pan-European importance of the forest and how it's the main dispersal route of large mammals. Beyond the lynx, the border wall threatens species of bison and brown bears. And what about instances of this happening in other areas of the world, like Asia? Asian animals too are threatened by border walls. Fencing along the border between India and Bangladesh has disrupted the movement of Asian elephants in their natural range. Further walls in Central Asia have blocked camels, bears, snow leopards, and many other animals. In one example, a wall on the border between Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan blocked the migration of antelope between their seasonal habitats. Without intervention that convinced the Kazakh government to open part of the wall, the antelope faced starvation. And how does this issue affect us domestically in the United States? The wall on the U.S.-Mexico border has not been particularly effective in restraining human movement, but still manages to threaten animal movement. In addition to the previously mentioned ocelot, the wall also threatens Sonoran pronghorns, Mexican gray wolves, and peninsular bighorn sheep. As in other border wall cases, the division of these animal populations threatens to reduce already limited genetic diversity and impede their ability to adapt to a changing climate. The wall even threatens habitats before its completion due to the environmental impact of construction. In an effort to expedite construction, the 2005 Real ID Act gave the Department of Homeland Security the authority to waive laws, including environmental laws, that stood in the way of the wall's completion. There's always been destruction of the physical landscape and threats to environmentally sensitive areas, such as the Tijuana Estuary Reserve. 
Not surprisingly, many wildlife groups are concerned about the impact of the law on animal populations, including one paper signed by nearly 3,000 scientists. So are there any solutions for addressing this problem? Perhaps the simplest solution would be to just get rid of all the walls, but political reality makes that a tough sell. Furthermore, there are limited situations where walls restricting animal movements may carry benefits, at least to certain groups. Such examples include a fence erected by Botswana that was built to keep out cattle with foot and mouth disease, but has the side effect of limiting movements of giraffes, elephants, and zebras. Creating passageways to the walls is a frequently proposed solution, but has yet to fully realize its promise. On the surface, it seems like the best of both worlds. The wall still serves its intended purpose, but allows animals to pass. However, this is complicated by engineering and behavioral concerns. If the wall is to serve its purpose, it must be effective in keeping out people. Smaller gates could allow some animals to pass without letting people through, but that would only allow small animals to pass. Certainly any gate large enough for a bear is large enough for a person. Second, people are smarter than animals. Not only would people be better at finding the openings, but they would likely be able to solve any challenge that an animal could solve. If the gates were sufficiently guarded, the first two problems may be solvable. That still leaves a third problem. Wildlife gates cannot work if they remain closed or unbuilt. In Poland's case, the government promised 24 wildlife gates that failed to materialize. Critics called the wildlife gate promise a soothing agent and questioned the idea of animals queuing up for the gate to open. Thus, while wildlife gates may be part of the solution, there must be the will to implement them in an effective way. For now, this remains challenging given opening gates would either increase security costs, decrease the wall's effectiveness toward humans, or both. And is there a place for international law to help solve this problem? International cooperation can certainly lead to the domestic protection of migratory animals. One of the largest examples of this in the United States is the Convention for the Protection of Migratory Birds, signed between the U.S. and Canada. The convention seeks to preserve migratory birds and save them from indiscriminate slaughter. There are important lessons to learn from this long-standing convention. Primarily, it provides an example of how international cooperation is possible to address threats to animal species. In fact, the U.S. went on to sign similar conventions with Mexico, Japan, and the Soviet Union. It also shows how international agreements can be functional when properly enforced domestically. But the perils are not perfect. Migratory birds did not affect the movement of people in and out of the country. Not everyone agreed with the Migratory Bird Treaty Act at the time. But immigration and the border polarize the modern political conversation in a way that migratory birds never did. Overall, the convention provides a ray of hope through its principles of international cooperation to solve a migratory animal issue, but it is not a perfect parallel to today's situation. Bilateral treaties are a good first step, but addressing the issue of animals and walls around the world may require intergovernmental action at the United Nations level. Fortunately, there is already a framework in the Convention on the Conservation of Migratory Species of Wild Animals. Among the Convention's fundamental principles is that the parties acknowledge the need to take action to avoid any migratory species becoming endangered. The Convention further acknowledges that range states shall endeavor to prevent, remove, compensate for, or minimize as appropriate the adverse effects of activities or obstacles that seriously impede or prevent the migration of the species. Thus, there is a recognition by the 133 parties to the convention 
there's a need to mitigate obstacles affecting animal species. Like many international agreements, the convention is only as powerful as the will to implement and enforce it. Given the previously discussed problems with animals and border walls, it seems that much of the convention's goals remain to be realized. That's what remains up to activists, experts, and political actors to achieve these goals. They can point to the convention as a source of authority, even if it's not a panacea for the problem. Thank you so much for that overview. Any last takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? Of course. Governments may build walls to affect human movements, but they have the usually unintended effect of restricting animal movement. For species with small populations, these restrictions reduce chances of mating and limit genetic diversity. And for migratory species, it can mean being cut off from seasonal habitats. There are solutions that can mitigate the problem. What is needed is the political will. Thank you for being with us today, Alex. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Travaux is brought to you by Hiep Wen, Kyle Tang, Julia Wang, and the rest of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current. Please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Trevo. See you next week. Au revoir.